Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. It was in June of 1994 that The Lion King was released. You may have not known this, but it was the highest grossing film of that year, $763 million. And the second highest of that day grossing film of all time behind Jurassic Park. But for Disney, it was the first animated feature that was not going to be the retelling of any fairy tale. In fact, they wanted it to be an original movie based on something more. Thus, the writers Irene Mechie, who wrote Brave, Jonathan Roberts, who ended up writing Monsters, Inc., and Linda Wolverton, who wrote Maleficent, took their inspiration from multiple classic sources, including most of it from two iconic heroes from the Bible, Joseph and Moses. Mufasa, who means king in Swahili, and Simba, meaning strength. It's interesting, isn't it? (laughs) To be honest with you, I wish that Disney would get back to that today. But that's another message. But I want to show you something here in a minute. Down in Panama City, Florida, there is a motel. But hold on, I'm going to show it to you in a moment. So team, hang on back there. But I want to tell you what they're singing, and most people don't know this. But the first cry that you hear is the singer saying, my people, here comes a lion. The descant underneath, see to whom, they they come right underneath there, is saying, yes, we, we see it's a lion. So he says it again, but in more dramatic form, he's saying, no, you don't understand. My people, a lion is coming. And they respond, yes, we see that it is a lion. And then there's this chant that gets repeated over and over through the entire song, even underneath when someone is singing into the chorus until the end. And what they're saying is, that lion will conquer. Now, when you think about that for a moment, At 6.30 in the morning in Panama City at a certain hotel, it's to this song that they wake up. It's the wake-up call for the entire motel. But it's become such an incredible moment that no one sleeps, everybody's awake, and they're out in their balconies. Watch this. absolutely love that. People are cheering. People are screaming. It's 6.30 in the morning. And they know the wake-up calls for the entire hotel. Right? Nah, it's grandma. And everybody's like, woo! I love it. There's a lion coming, people. 
And I wonder if the church is going, yeah, I know, it's a lion. And that's funny. I fear the church is missing it. There's a lion coming, people. Oh, and he will conquer. Jesus tried to help us understand what that means, that he will conquer. And I fear that in today's church, and I'm going to get a little radical here. I know it's summer, and for the next five weeks, we're going to be casting vision. Because we're going to launch in the fall, and we're going to do something we've done in the past, but we're going to take it to another level. Lost people still matter to our God. I'm not so sure anymore it matters to the people that call themselves of God. But they still matter to God. And my Bible says that if you claim to be a follower of God and don't care about those lost people, he says, you need to understand something. There is a wide gate that leads to hell. And many will go to that gate. Jesus said that. I didn't say it, folks. Jesus said 2,000 years ago, the gate that leads to eternal life is a narrow gate and few people will find it. Let me say that again. Jesus said, narrow is a gate that leads to eternal life and very few people are going to find it. Wide is the gate that leads to hell and destruction and many will go by it. Because they don't seem to understand a lion is coming, people. And he will conquer. He will not conquer according to you and I and what we think. I say it over and over again. That I think God is little tired of God's people or anybody telling him, the way he has to think. Because I hear Christians say, well, you have to understand, God loves me. I don't think God's okay with you telling him what he has to do or think. That's over and over in scripture. People justifying their lives. Well, God will understand. I, again, I don't think God's okay with you telling him what he has to understand. There is a lion coming, people. And he will conquer. And it'll be his way. The word of God spells it out. And yet I think the church is sitting back. What I love about this motel is these people come there. Why? Because it's 630 in the morning. They're already out in the balcony. Why? They're ready for it. They're ready for it. You know, and everybody's like, whoa, lion's coming. That's what the church should be doing. You should go to work tomorrow and walk in and go, nah. And you're like, people think I'm weird. You are weird. Do you know why? Because the Bible says we're transformed. We no longer think the way the world thinks. We no longer do the way the world does. We're not like that. We've been transformed into a new image that understands a lion's coming. This is a message I've entitled, Wake Up Call. If you got your Bibles, then I invite you to go to Joshua 24. I dare any one of you fathers tomorrow morning to wake up in your household and go, nah, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, just, I just dare you. Moms do the same. We need to start getting a new anthem, folks. The lion is coming. The lion is coming. Joshua 24. As you're going there, some of you might recall the story of Rip Van Winkle. It was written by Washington Irving back in 1819. It's the story, a story about a man, Rip Van Winkle, who everybody seemed to love. He was friendly, he was lovable, but he was also lazy, apathetic, lethargic. He lived at the foot of the Caskill Mountains in upstate New York, 
back in the late 1700s, the way it was written. One day, you need to understand, paraphrasing the story, in his attempt to escape the pressures of life, don't miss this, to avoid having to make some important decisions, Rip wanders up into the mountains and lays down on a grassy knoll and goes asleep for 20 years. When he falls asleep, King George III was the monarch over the American colonies, but when he wakes up, George Washington is now the president of the United States. His world has changed. He slept through an entire revolution. The world around him was different. Everything about it. He missed the entire thing. In dozing off in an attempt to escape the pressures and the responsibilities that he had toward life, he wakes up and sees everything had changed, and I'm calling the older generation to hear this. In trying to make sense of it, he makes another decision. He decides to go back to his lazy, lethargic, apathetic mindset and goes back to asleep. And I fear the church has been doing the same. I fear. Church isn't important, even though God said it was. There's other things we gotta do. God's okay with that, he understands. Again, we get to tell him. Christianity getting redefined, new rules, new understanding. I hear a lot of people in the world talking about all the changes, but no one seems to be talking about the non-changing God. We keep looking and describing everything that's falling down, but we forget to go back and talk about the foundation which needs to be built. I want you to look at the screen if you would, and I want you to read out loud with me from Romans 13. Verse 11, read it with me, church. Understand the present time. Stop there for a moment. If you've got a way to highlight that, even on your your app or whatever, I would encourage you or write it in your notes, come back to it later. But I want you to understand that word time. We'll come back to it. Let's read it again from the beginning. Understand the present time. For the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is near now than when we first believed. The word time to the ancient Greeks, because that's who Paul is writing to in Romans, had two different meanings. The first word is the word chronos. It's where we get chronology or chronograph, like a watch. The ticking of time that it is passing. Seconds to minutes, minutes to hours, hours to days, time. Unchanging, 2,000 years ago, the same second will be the same it will be 2,000 years from now. The passing of time, it's moving, right? Kronos. But it's the other one that Paul is writing here. It's the word keros, which is a decisive moment in time. Where the clock is ticking and all of a sudden a decision was made. 
You chose to get married. And in the moment of time that is ticking, your life has never been the same, is it? That's a decision. That's a chaos moment. But then the rhythm gets back in play and then you decide to have children. <laughs> and your lives have never been the same, have they? Even the gift of children, you're different, aren't you? But then the rhythm of life gets going again. And then there's an event like 9-11. A moment in time, a chaos moment, that in the rhythm of constant passing of time, everything has changed. And what I believe more than anything right now is God's church needs a chaos moment. We need another 9-11, not of evil, but we need God to do something so much that we would see such a moment and the world would never be the same. We're desperate for a chaos moment. But you need to understand what Paul's writing here. He says, understand the present time, not the ticking of it, but understanding that something is going on. Something incredible is before us. But he says, but the hour has come. You need to wake up. But what's interesting in this passage, he says, because the hour is already, we may already have missed it, people. And that's my fear. We're so wrapped up into this. Like, how many people have you shared the gospel to this week about Jesus? Oh, you love him, remember? Your name's written in the book. What was more important in this week than that? See, we serve the chronos, but we miss the keros. And there's a reason for it, and I want to share that with you. So if you have your Bibles, Joshua 24... How do we make today a chaos moment that we don't miss what God is wanting to do and been wanting to do? I will read this through and I'm going to ask for a little help. You'll understand a moment. But I'm reading from the TNIV, the Today's New International Version. Here's what it says. Beginning in verse 1, Joshua 24. This is Joshua, by the way, just so we understand Two people that were sent out by the Israelite leaders, Moses himself, they went in, spied the land, checked it out. Two come back and say, hey, we need to do something about us. The others are all in fear. They'd rather be paralyzed in their comfort rather than be led by the conviction of God. Joshua and Caleb come back and say, we understand there's really bad things going on in the world. There's some giants, but come on, we got God. This is Joshua. Moses is dead now. Joshua is the voice of God to the people. Verse 1, then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, the officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says 
Who's speaking now? God is. He's speaking through Joshua. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. Read the first three words with me now. But I took. Come on, church, read them. But I took. Notice what God says. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates. And it was I that led him through Canaan and gave him many descendants. Read the three words with me. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau. But Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. First three words. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there. And I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with the chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. And you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land. Of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan, they fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you. And you took possession of their land when Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel. He sent for Balaam, son of Bor, to put a curse on you, but I would not listen to Balaam so He blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Overbites, the Mosquitoites. Okay, but (laughs) but I gave them, but I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also, the two Amorite kings. Watch what he says. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. I gave you. I gave you a land in which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from the vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. I want to say this, folks, and please hear this. I don't care what business you built. You didn't build it. I don't care what family you have. You didn't get it. You didn't create it. Every day you get up, it's only because of God's gift that he gives you breath. It's only because he gave you a mind to think and hands to work. You and I have nothing that you and I are not blessed of God who he didn't give it to us. And some of you might go, well, I don't like what God gave me because we're going through struggles. Well, therein lies your problem because he's bigger than your struggles. And if you understand God, they're temporal and you win in the end with Jesus. So if you want to focus on your problem and pain, you go ahead. I'm going to focus on the person of God who's bigger than any problem and pain because he still deserves glory despite what I'm going through. He's still the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is the decision we make in our lives. And you need to catch this. It's time to wake up and recognize that. Why do we keep talking about an ever-changing world and spending little time talking about an unchanging God? It doesn't matter what's going around outside of us. It's who he is within us. Do we believe? Have we made that choice? Because look what happens in the passage. 
Joshua says in verse 14, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness, with all. Throw away the gods of your ancestors who worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods and the Amorites in those land or the living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Please hear this. No way in personal defense. If this church was closed to its doors, I will not allow the attendance or this church to determine who I am. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Regardless of what happens in the world politically, collectively, economically, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That doesn't mean that my children will choose that, but it does even that Kay and I have. For as for me and my house. See, if I could give you a history lesson of which time will not pro- provide, and I'll talk about it in a minute, which would helpful. There's so much happening here. And what they're facing is so much greater in all fairness than what you and I think we're facing today. And Joshua as a leader is saying, you need to understand folks, you go ahead and pick. He's assembled all of God's people. This must be in question. And he shares before them all and says, listen, you do what you want, but as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. We're serving the Lord. I want to give you four things of how we make today from this passage a chaos moment. Because I believe we're in a moment time that I think is the most significant. And I'm not trying to be negative on it. I want to be positive on the fact I still believe these are the best days for God's people right now. I understand how dark it is. Light shines best in darkness, people. Light your candle. Our world's desperate and needs it. And I believe they're looking for it. Not church as we know it, but people who are willing to be lit up for Jesus. They're looking for truth. They're just looking in wrong places. And we have an opportunity to make this a chaos moment. Amen? So here's the first thing I want you to write down. If it's going to be chaos, it has to become personal. It has to become personal. It doesn't matter what the crowd and everybody is saying on the outside. It's a Joshua moment saying, listen, even if I'm alone, as for me and my, it has to be what? Personal. No one can seize your moment. No one can seize this time, this chaos opportunity, but you. Your marriage struggling? The goal isn't to wait upon your spouse. The decision is in your hands, personally. In your family, at your work, everything in your life, it's a choice you have to make and will. See, every one of us experiences all kinds of different things this side of life, true? We could throw out ideas, some of those moments in time that you experienced and it was so amazing that they'd be a vast different amount of confession. But there is one moment that we will all experience exactly the same you will stand before God and you will have to give an account for your life. Everyone in this room will stand before Almighty God 
And you will have to be accountable to everything he gave you. I did this. I did this. I did this. Everything you have, I gave you. Tell me, what was the return? Were you accountable for the gift? It's got to be personal, folks. But as for me and my house, (laughs) we're going to serve the Lord. I made that decision. So let me give you an action item that I've been sharing with you. Many of you know our partnership with SEU, and I think sometimes it gets confusing. We're not just looking to accredit students to get them on through school and get them a degree. The reason I partnered is because I want my entire church that I pastor to be biblical literate, not illiterate. And so many people don't know the word. I hear people say it all the time. And so we're launching the Old Testament class. It's on Tuesday nights for three hours. And some of you are going, well, I don't have time for that. Really, you don't have time for that. You want to build a marriage, but you don't want to understand the word of God in which to build it. That don't make any sense to me. We're not busy. We're just busy about the wrong things. We're chasing stuff that, if you will, chronos rather than keros. The unbelievable value of time. We're going to walk through the Old Testament and so many people avoid it in the church. The least read part of the Bible is the Old Testament because people say, I don't understand it. Well, then we're given an opportunity. I love what one scholar said. The Old Testament is the story of Jesus. The New Testament is just the commentary. The most impregnated part of the Old Testament is the story of Jesus. People go, well, he didn't show up until the New Testament. That's because you don't understand. That's all I'm saying. I want to show you that. I want to help you understand the entire Old Testament is Jesus Christ. And it changes everything for eight weeks, three hours a night. And it could change your marriage, change your family, change everything about your life and watching the word of God do what Jesus said. I am the way, I am the truth. And I always like to add that gives you life. You come to me and then learn my word and I'll show you life to the full. The most powerful thing we can ever do is to understand the word. I can't ever get enough of it. 57, I find every way I can. This morning, I'm going through revelations and just, just walking through and watching the word come ways in ways I've never seen before. It's truly living and active. And I want to encourage you to sign that up. It, it will change everything. You will never read the Old Testament the same. Everybody who's gone through it, they're like, I never understood it. It's such a simple book that is so deep and impregnated. It's easier than you think when you see what's really going on. I want to encourage you to do that. And then I want to speak out. We're going to put a QR code up on the screen, QR code, Tuesday. This is last minute. This is for anybody under the age of 35. Under the age of 35. We're actually showing a film in here. It'll start at 6.15. We'll have food for all of you. You can sign up, let us know, because we want to make sure we have plenty of food. But, and some of you are going, what about us that are over 35? Let me say it again. This is for those under 35. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Invite someone under 35. Maybe your kids, grandkids or something. But, but the reason why is it's, it's such a life-changing moment. I'm not going to say much about it. I don't really get into advertising film anymore, but there's something that was given to me that doesn't come out till spring. And I've seen it twice in the last seven days and, and cried and blo- I'm blown away of the story it is. 
and what a moment it could be for this, this generation. So I just invite you, if you want to come, it's free, it doesn't cost you a thing. So it has to be personal. Here's number two, okay? There has to be an urgency about you. Say that with me. There has to be an urgency about you. Notice that Joshua didn't say, oh, here's the deal, here's the deal. Let's take a couple of days, think about what I said, go home, mull it over, and then come back together and we'll talk about it some more. He doesn't say that. He says, the time is now. It's today. It's today, it's now. On April 14th, 1912, 110 years ago, a little more than 1,500 people died. Anybody know the event? The Titanic. April 14th, 1912. It took two hours and 40 minutes to sink. Two hours and 40 minutes. At 11.35 p.m., April 14th, the Titanic hit an iceberg. The unsinkable ship. 11.35 p.m. But it wouldn't be until 12.45 a.m. that the first lifeboat, boat, number seven, would begin to be lowered. Hour and ten minutes. They're almost halfway that it'll be gone. And of that lifeboat, the first one, hour and 10 minutes after it's been sinking, only 27 people are on it. And they could put 65. And do you know why that was? We're okay, it's the Titanic. And I wonder if that's the same heart that's in the church right now. I'm amazed how many people who call themselves followers of Jesus are concerned about the economy. Don't you remember on the Titanic? Remember the guy in the movie, it's Hollywood, but he tries to buy a ticket on a lifeboat and he throws the money away and says, this won't do you any good now. As if somehow we're going to stand before God and go, hey God, wait a minute. Economies go up, economies go down. Who knows? Our entire nation might collapse. Please hear this. He doesn't change. The lion is coming. He will conquer. All of this goes away. Are we really caring about what's coming and who's going with us? Is there an urgency? Is there an urgency? Can I tell you hell's best kept secret? Do you know what it is? We don't even realize it's secret because we're doing it. He's made us believe there's tomorrow. It's his best kept secret. All through the Bible, there's all kinds of promises, but there's one that God never gave us. Do you know what it is? There's a tomorrow. He literally says the opposite. He says, you don't even know if there's a tomorrow. All you have is today. That's all we have. We're not even guaranteed the rest of this day. That's why I love Jesus in Mark 6 where the Bible says they were out on the road and they preached with joyful urgency. Urgency that life can be radically different. Folks, life needs to be radically different. And you know who's responsible for that? You and I as children of God. We got to get urgent about this thing. We got to get urgent. And so I want to ask you, I'm going to invite Reed to come. I'm going to ask you, 
Who do you need to invite this fall to at the movies? We're doing it for eight weeks. Please hear this. We're not endorsing any of these movies. But we believe that there's faith that you can find in film. It's sort of like we can take something that's meant for evil and make it good. But it's some of the best stuff. I've already seen three of the final versions. And I'm the one that was preaching in them. And I, I, I cried in all three of them. I think it's some of the best stuff that we've ever put together to be able to speak truth into people, especially people that don't know Christ. This will be an amazing time. Who are you going to invite? Who are you going to invite? Read. Well, first of all, I want to say, Pastor Keith, how much I love you and appreciate you as my pastor and as a friend and everything that you've done for us. I, I feel bad. I just had a birthday, so I'm just going to miss that movie, uh, being 35 and under. I feel bad about that. Joshua is telling his people, this is our time. It's not just a time. This is our time. I believe that's the same thing for us. This is our time. There's a reason that God had you and I born at the time he had us born and to be alive at this moment in this time because it's our time. As Pastor Keith said, it has to be personal. It has to be a sense of urgency about it. Here's the third thing, though. It has to become unavoidable. It has to become what? See, here's the deal. Whether by intention or default, we are all going to serve somebody. Bob Dylan, the songwriter, said it this way. It might be the devil and it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. What he's really saying is this. Pick one. Choose. Now, actually, Jesus said it before Bob did. Jesus said it in Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You know, Jesus is saying, pick one. Choose. I, I love reading the Bible. It's my go-to every morning. And it's interesting, over the last month, God has just had me camped on a passage, and he won't let me leave it yet. And it's a passage I've read a lot of times, and to be honest, probably many of you have, have read or at least heard about it. It's Exodus 20. It's the Ten Commandments. And it's interesting in that I start reading it. So out of Exodus 20, it says this, I'm the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Here's the first commandment. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. Okay, makes sense. I got, I got it. Okay, no, no idols, no images of idols. I, I would assume, probably safe guess, that none of you have a golden calf in your living room. Okay, I'm assuming that. So I'm going, great, check, check. Got those two checked off, great. And God went, no, we're going to talk. Read the last part of the verse. Here it is. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Not tolerate your affection. He didn't say, I won't tolerate your worship or I won't tolerate you bowing down to him. He says, I will not tolerate your affection. For any other gods. Think, think about this. If, if you're married and your spouse came and shared to you that they had an affection for someone else, 
They, they do not want to divorce you. They want to still remain with you, but they have an affection for someone else. And because of that affection, they want to spend some more time with that person, uh, probably like once a week, every Friday night. Question, would you tolerate that? Would you? No, you know what you'd say? Pick one. That's what we'd say. God says, I will not tolerate your affection for any other God. Pick one. How, how do you know what your affection is? Look at your calendar. Look at your checkbook. That's your affection. So if in your calendar, you're running your kids all over the place to every event, every activity that they've been in, running every weekend to their sports stuff and everything, and to the point where in your calendar, there's not daily time that you have with God or weekly time to worship, your kids then are your affection and God will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. If you look in your checkbook and your checkbook has things for your personal property and things that you own, but yet there's no place in your checkbook where there's tithing, then what you own is your affection and God will not tolerate your affection for any other idols. In your calendar, if it's full of work and activities, because, man, all this stuff at work and everything's going on, but in the calendar, there's not any time this past week or weeks where you and I have shared the gospel with somebody, shared who Jesus Christ is, or we're being in a relationship with someone who doesn't know Christ, then our work has become our affection. It's unavoidable. We will serve somebody. God will not tolerate our affection with any other God. He says, Pick one. It's our time. Here's the fourth one. We also have to understand, though, it was generational. It was what? It was generational. See, our decisions are never just our decisions. Our decisions affect others. Our decisions affect our children. It affects our children's children our grandchildren. The Swiss government, 2016, did a study, and here's what they found out. That when a dad was a follower of Christ, well, first of all, let me give the other one. When a dad was not a follower of Christ, there was a one in 20, one in 20 chance, or actually one in, sorry, 2%, had to make sure I get it right, 2% chance, one in 50 chance that the children would be followers of Christ. But if he was a follower of Christ, 75% chance. Because your decision is not just your decision. In fact, in Exodus 20, right after that, catch what God says. Here's the commandment. You must not bow down to, any, to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any of the gods. And here comes right on it. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected even children to the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations to those who love me and obey my commands. Do you catch it? God links the two right behind each other. If you have affections for other gods, I will put that sin on your children to the third and fourth generation. But if you obey me and serve me, how many generations? Thousand. How many of you want legacy like that? That's a legacy. And see, it has to be generational. That's why, to be honest, friends, we need to wake up. Say, say wake up. Wake up. 
Say it louder. Wake up. We have to wake up because this is a Kairos moment, our moment in time. As for me and my household, we are going to serve the Lord. It's that kind of a moment. Let me ask you, before you became a follower of Christ, was there something that basically enslaved you? Maybe habits, could be addictions, could be thought processes that, to be honest, still are part of that today with you? And you still haven't been able to shake it, even though you, you love God, you, it's still there. Did you catch what God said? He says, throw off the gods, throw them off. Literally, get rid of them, no more. In fact, here's what it says in Jonah chapter 2. Those who cling to worthless idols or worthless affections forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Second Kings 17 says this, they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. So what are we holding on to? Is it something maybe even our past we're holding on to? Something that maybe you've asked for forgiveness, but it's, it's still there, the thought of it, still the regret of it. Mistakes that you've made. Choices that have been a part of you, carried with you. The Bible says, no, let go of it. In fact, here's what Colossians 3 says. Man, I think this is good. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality. Let's define that. One man, one woman in marriage. Anything outside of that is sexual immorality. It says have nothing to do with sexual immorality. Impurity, that could be what we talk about, think about. Lust and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. It means you have an affection for it. Worshiping the things in this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Catch that? It says the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time, Kairos moment, now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on the new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Let's ask, are we sacrificing your family maybe because of your affection for success? It's an idol. Are you sacrificing your ethics because of your desire for money, possessions? That's an idol. Are you sacrificing decency because you have an affection for indecent entertainment? Are you sacrificing moral purity because of your affection for someone knowing it's outside of God's will? Are you sacrificing God's highest good for you to the idols of past memories, lifestyles, behaviors you're just not willing to let go of yet? Are you living for yourself or for a higher purpose than God? Let me ask you, how fast did the last 10 years go by? Can we just be honest? Pesky said it. In that much time, we'll all stand before God. Every one of us, individually, will stand before God. Make your choice now. Choose this day. Like Rip Van Winkle, have we been just sleeping through it? People, we are at war. Do you know that? The Bible says it. We are at war. There are thousands, 
tens of thousands, 100,000 people within this vicinity of our city in this area that don't know Christ. That's why God's word says, wake up. Wake up, men of God. Wake up, women of God. Wake up, teens of God. We're at war. It starts today. It has to be personal. Man, I can't encourage you. Take the classes. Your life will change. I've seen it. I love the Old Testament. I learn more things again about the Old Testament again. It is such a marvelous adventure in understanding God's Word. It has to be personal. It has to be a sense of urgency about it. Man, right now, write something on an orange ball. Be praying for that person. But then, how can we invite him to at the movies? Sense of urgency about it. But that's unavoidable. Pick one. Because it's generational. It's not about you. It's about others. It's about your kids, their families, your grandchildren. That's why it has to start now. Now is the time. It's our moment. So we're going to go to prayer. But each of you might have to deal something differently with God. So I'm just going to say, first of all, Father, thank you. As Pastor Keith said, in a world that always changes, you don't. God, sometimes we might not like to hear the word, but it's the truth anyway. So God, thank you that you promise when we choose you that that choice will impact legacy way beyond us. So maybe there's someone here today that you've never chosen to be a follower of Christ. You might have even said a prayer at some point. You've been going to church, but you've never let Jesus be Lord of your life. And today, that's your choice. And simply, in your heart, pray this. Dear Jesus, it's yours. My entire life is yours. No more games. I give it all to you. Maybe for some of you, you have been a follower of Christ, but if you're really honest, you've had affections for other gods. Some of those gods might be in your own family or your own workplace. And you've had those affections and you understand it. So today for you, it's one of saying, okay, get rid of those. That prayer is, dear Jesus, forgive me that I've allowed other things, other people to have my affection. I have chased other gods. I'm sorry. Forgive me of that. I choose today to get rid of them and follow you in all aspects. And lastly, right now, think of the name of one person, one person that does not know Christ that you know, or you don't know if they do. Who is that one person? And right now, just pray for him. Right now, just pray for him. Father God, you know the names of all that are being prayed right now because you created them. And you created them in your image to have a relationship with you. God, it breaks your heart that they don't know you. So God, we pray for them right now. And we'll continue to pray for them over these weeks ahead. And 
God, that you would give us conversations with them, that they could come not just to maybe at the movies, but we could have conversation with them and let them know what you mean in our lives. God, we lift them up to you. We want to see them come to know you. So, Father God, this is your day, but it's also our day. It's our time because the lion is roaring. You are coming, and you will conquer. God, we choose you. As for me and my household, we will choose the Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.